You're listening to Recommended, where we talk to interesting people about their favorite books. From childhood favorites to classics to new and forthcoming reads, you'll hear how the people who make books happen have been influenced by the ones they've read. Today, Garth Nix chose The Three Musketeers by Alexander Dumas, and Sylvia Moreno-Garcia chose The Hot Spot by Charles Williams. Garth Nix's books have appeared on the bestseller lists of The New York Times, Publishers Weekly, The Guardian, and The Australian, and his work has been translated into 42 languages. His books include the award-winning fantasy novels Sabriel, Lyriel, and Abhorsen, Clariel, a prequel in the Abhorsen series, the cult-favorite teen science fiction novel Shades, Children, and his critically acclaimed collection of short stories To Hold the Bridge. His fantasy novels for younger readers include The Ragwitch, the six books of the Seventh Tower sequence, the Keys to the Kingdom series, and A Confusion of Princes. His new fantasy novel, Angel Mage, takes place in an alternate European world ruled by fearsome magic and deadly passions. My name is Garth Nix, and The Three Musketeers is my recommended. The Three Musketeers is the story of a young man, D'Artagnan, who goes to Paris in in the early 17th century during the reign of King Louis XIII to make his name and fortune as a musketeer, which his father was before him. Uh, Unfortunately, he is denied joining the musketeers initially, but he makes friends with three musketeers. Uh, The book is called The Three Musketeers, but actually there's really four of them ultimately. Uh, So D'Artagnan joins Athos, Portos, and Aramis, and the four of them have a number of adventures involving the uh, plots of Cardinal Richelieu against the Queen. They are supporters of the Queen and the King. Uh, In the process, D'Artagnan has a love affair uh, as well, and he does make his name and become a musketeer. I think my first actual knowledge of the book was in a children's magazine, a British children's magazine called Look and Learn, which was an illustrated, highly illustrated magazine that I absolutely loved because it had these tremendous uh, illustrations and often cartoons and even a very early graphic novel uh, in in each issue. Uh, And I think that's where I first saw The Three Musketeers reduced to two pages uh, with with wonderful illustrations and and I then sorted out I sought out the book and read it and I would have been probably only nine or ten it is an adult book and the text is moderately dense I guess uh, and it, it does depend very much on the translation I, I should point out um, and it's worth seeking out a translation that captures some of the the humor of the original there's a very good one probably my favorite uh, is one by translated by an American called Lowell Bear, B-A-I-R. It's published by Random House from memory. Uh, so that's that's a very good translation. It still keeps a lot of the humour. So I read The Three Musketeers and I, I loved it just as much in its more complex novel form as I did in those two pages with pictures. Also, there are sequels to The Three Musketeers, which, which are less satisfying, unfortunately, but there's a number of sequels, including 20 Years After, which is 20 years after The Three Musketeers. In some ways, it's less satisfying because D'Artagnan at that point is not happy. He is a he is a lieutenant of the Musketeers, but he's stayed that way for 20 years and he still has higher ambitions. 
and the, the characters of the other three musketeers are not quite what they were in the first book in, in the way that sequels can sometimes not satisfy the love of the first book. It's also very much coloured by my love of my favourite film adaptations of the books, which are the 1970s films directed by Richard Lester. He's probably most famous because he directed A Hard Day's Night with the Beatles. That's one of his most most famous films, but quite a number of others. But I particularly love uh, his two films he made from The Three Musketeers, The Three Musketeers and The Four Musketeers. But I, I, I really I love those films. And they have a wonderful cast. So, And I think I'm influenced by the actors portraying the, the characters as well as the, the characters themselves. And so probably my favourite, kind of sadly because my favourite is probably Atos, who's played by Oliver Reed in The Three Musketeers. Now, Oliver Reed was not a nice man, unfortunately, and an alcoholic. So the two often combine. <laughs> I have to sort of separate out... Oliver Reed as a person and the portrayal of Athos by Oliver Reed is something grimly attractive about the character who has been has been betrayed, holds a grudge, sort of tries to lose himself from his noble origins as a musketeer, but they still sort of shine through. And in, in the book that's definitely true uh, and he's looked up to by, by all the others, even though D'Artagnan does end up being their leader. Uh, by default. It's a fascinating adventure. It probably appeals to me in the same way that very successful fantasy does because it creates a world which I find very interesting. In this case, it is a, it is an historical world which has a lot of basis. In fact, though, some liberties have been taken, even, even by Dumas, who was writing only uh, 200 years later, <clears throat> you know, taking some, some liberties with, with various aspects of the history. But it creates a whole world that you can go into and it's a world of adventure and daring do and very clever wit. All of these things just combining together in a, in a great story uh, or actually a number of great stories within The Three Musketeers because there's a whole sort of series of adventures that intertwine which are concerned with the machinations of, of the Cardinal against the Queen, the Queen's love affair with the Duke of Buckingham, the assassination of the Duke of Buckingham, the the King being not too bright and being manipulated by by the Cardinal uh, and, and the Musketeers are in, in, involved in, in all of this. I've reread Dumas off and on every few years, I guess. I might not read The Three Musketeers, but I'll read, you know, one of his. Uh, but I did, in fact, read The Three Musketeers relatively recently because it is a major source of inspiration for my new book, Angel Mage, which it's not a retelling uh, of The Three Musketeers, but it's, it's very much inspired by by that world and that story. Most of the people I would probably try to recommend The Three Musketeers to would have already read it, um, which is a drawback with a very well-known book. You, you, you can't have the delight of discovering something and, uh, and passing it on to other readers and, and be pleased that, that you've shared something new and, and exciting that they've never heard of. But I, I guess when I'm talking about, about a book, I'm trying to recommend a book to someone, I will normally think of something within the book that would particularly appeal to them. I wouldn't necessarily try and sell it on how it's being sold in general or how it's being described. And Dumas is a master storyteller, so uh, that that's a, a good one to read. 
um, even though some of the actual uh, literary technique within the book would be seen as a bit out of date these days. Perhaps some of the construction would typically not be done these days, particularly some very long descriptions and so on, uh, which you find 19th century novelists doing. Uh, You you possibly wouldn't do, depending on what you were writing. But it would certainly, having read them and knowing how to use them is very helpful. But I think the main thing with Jumara is that he he just invented a great story and, and one that's resonated through the years and has been such a strong story that people have wanted to retell it in different forms. And it's, you know, so many film adaptations on radio, uh, on television, lots of books inspired by The Three Musketeers. So I think a great storyteller is always worth reading. You might not even know what, what you're getting from it, but I'm sure there's something being transmitted. I think the, the characters are very human. Whether the, those characters were musketeers or they were contemporary soldiers, I think a lot of the, the the basic human character is the same. There's a lot of the same concerns about power and the wielding of power and personal responsibility and and, and the conniving and plotting, I, I think, is all... Is, they're all still things people do, uh, just whether it's in the trappings of a 17th century court or it's a it's a 2019 political scene. All of that is much is much the same. All these all these things still go on. So I think there's a universal appeal in terms of these feel like real people. They feel like real people, and you certainly get the sense of the, of the setting having been real, the history being real. So I think anyone who reads it would also just be drawn into the adventure of it. So that it's a great adventure story. It's got people who feel real doing things that actually matter to them, that have great stakes. Uh, all, all those things are still with us. Everything else is kind of window dressing that you, you could probably let pass you by and you'd still get the sense of the story, depending how you read. I mean, people read in different ways. Someone who was concentrating on every word and and you know, really reading it very slowly and wasn't caught up by the adventure might find it dated. But I think anyone who just jumped in there and went along for the ride and wanted to be with with the musketeers and wanted to be, be part of it would just be swept away by by a really great story. That was Garth Nix, recommending The Three Musketeers by Alexander Dumas. His novel, Angel Mage, published by Catherine Teagan Books, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow him on Twitter at Garth Nix. That's G-A-R-T-H-N-I-X. Today's episode is brought to you by Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters is an intimate portrait of two generations, a granddaughter and a grandmother, coming to terms with what it means to be family, black women, and alive in a world on fire. In heartfelt lyrical prose, Mary Inez Hegler weaves an unforgettable story of the climate crisis, black resistance, and the enduring power of family. Narrated by Janice Abbott-Pratt and written by climate justice writer Mary Inez Hegler, the Troubled Waters audiobook is available everywhere May 7th. It follows Corinne as she plans to stage a dramatic act of resistance and peels back the scabs of her family wounds and puts her safety in jeopardy. 
Both grandmother and granddaughter must bring their unspoken secrets into light to find a path to healing. Known for her essays that dissect and interrogate the climate crisis, drawing heavily on her personal experience as a black woman with deep roots in the South, Mary Anais Hegler brings us her first work of fiction titled Troubled Waters. Make sure to pick it up. Thanks again to Harper Muse, publisher of Troubled Waters, for sponsoring this episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Greenleaf Book Group. No summer vacation should be without a great read. And I don't know about you, but I am partial to mysteries and thrillers for my hot month reads. It's hot girl reading summer always over here. And from the award-winning librettist of Legally Blonde, the musical and the screenwriter of Freaky Friday, Heather Hawk, comes the page-turning psychological thriller, The Trouble with Drowning. So when author Eden Hart floats into Tucson's Antigone books and all her dazzling perfection to give a reading, Kat, a struggling writer, can't help but compare herself. Thankfully, Kat's life starts to take on its own Eden-like glow when her literary future takes shape and she falls madly in love with Jacob. As demons from her past begin to surface, Kat's mental health craters and this halcyon dream slips through her fingers. For the fastest paced slow burn you won't be able to put down, be sure to check out The Trouble with Drowning by Heather Hawk on Amazon or your retailer of choice. And thanks again to Greenleaf Book Group for sponsoring this episode. Sylvia Moreno-Garcia is the author of the critically acclaimed novels Signal to Noise, Certain Dark Things, The Beautiful Ones, and the science fiction novella Prime Meridian. She has also edited several anthologies, including the World Fantasy Award-winning She Walks in Shadows, a.k.a. Cthulhu's Daughters. Her most recent novel, Gods of Jade and Shadow, follows a young woman sent by the Mayan god of death on a harrowing, life-changing journey through Jazz Age Mexico. Her upcoming novels include the eerie Mexican Gothic and the domestic noir Untamed Shore. My name is Silvia Moreno-Garcia, and my recommended is The Hot Spot, originally titled Health Hath No Fury by Charles Williams. So The Hot Spot is a 1950s noir. It was actually released under the title Hell Hath No Fury back in the day. And it's the story of a drifter called Harry Maddox, who goes into a town, gets a job selling cars, and then he gets the idea that he could commit a crime and basically rob a bank. But at the same time that he's planning this bank robbery, he becomes involved with two very different women, Gloria, who is a co-worker and kind of a good girl in town, but who hides a dark secret, and Dolly, who is the sultry wife of his new boss. I found the hotspot because they actually made a movie in 1990 starring Virginia Madsen and Don Johnson and Jennifer Connelly. And I saw it on TV one time and, and I just thought it was an amazing film, a great neo-noir, uh, had a lot of atmosphere. And it said, you know, in the credits that it was based on the novel by Charles Williams, Held Hath No Fury. So I went uh, looking for it, and what happened was that it was basically impossible to find. So it became a story about um, 
me looking for this mysterious book that was out of print. And eventually I found it and it turned out that the film is a perfect visual representation of this book, which is this old fashioned noir. Everything feels hot and steamy and it's this tiny town and it's full of secrets and deceit. And it, it was just this perfect, lovely crime thriller that had been lost to the mists of time. It's an excellent film, and it reproduces all of the elements um, of the book perfectly on screen. And it's not a very long book, so it it doesn't really change much, but it's just perfectly all streamlined and and beautiful and beautiful to watch. And it and it maintains just that amazing prose, that dialogue that Charles Williams has in the novel, really brings all the characters to life on screen. So it, it's just an amazing visual experience. But again, just like the novel. The movie is incredibly difficult to find. The novel is now easier because a few years ago they re-released, I think, a lot of Charles Williams' uh, catalog in ebook form, which is how I eventually ended up reading the book, was getting it in ebook form. But it was a big treasure hunt for, for a long time. And Charles Williams has a very interesting story of, of why it's very hard to find him. In the introduction to one of his books by Rick Ollerman, where the introduction is titled Charles Williams, the best known unknown paperback original, he says that Williams's agent, Don Kongdong, who also represented Ray Bradbury and Jack Feeney, said that Williams was just a hard luck kind of guy and he never really made it. He just couldn't, you know, we would now say break out, I guess. And well, he was a paperback writer. That's that's how he made his living. And paperbacks began to fall out of fashion in the 1960s, um, the ones that he wrote. And people were now into detective stories, but series stories. So, you know, volume five of the whatever series. And Williams didn't write that kind of stuff. So he eventually stopped writing, I think, because nobody wanted his stuff anymore. And he commits suicide sometimes in the in the early 1970s, I think, after his wife dies and he's been dealing with depression for a really long time. And then Williams just goes out of print for decades so that by the 2000s, you can't find any of his books in any kind of bookstore. And still nowadays, like I said, now they're available through the small company and ebook form, but he has not had kind of the re-release and the wide reappreciation that some other writers of that time period have had. So he is uh, I called him, yeah, the best unknown noir writer of the 1950s that everybody who knows noir knows because the saying is that Charles Williams could not write a bad book. It's his prose, and it's also that Williams plays very well with all the noir tropes. So there's all these elements that with any other writer, they would seem kind of usual, you know, like expected and, and, and that kind of thing. But Williams just brings a certain zest to the to the whole story. So you've got everything that you're anticipating in a noir, that you want in a noir, but you're not bored because he is just pumping it up, making it exciting. There's just something spicy and really cool about them. I love noir and now I'm writing crime fiction. So definitely I am writing what I call now, you know, neo-noirs or domestic noirs or whatever people um, are calling them these days. The noir just has this really long history in Latin America. The novela negra started in the kind of 1980s and it really is the only genre of fiction that, that we had. In, in Mexico growing up, there was no science fiction category or fantasy category or even horror category from the local production of authors. But there was this 
boom of Latin American authors that started writing crime fiction around that time, and it has continued. So it is something that I think we understand very easily in in Latin America and that we really like a lot, probably because a lot of the themes can be ported out, including things, you know, like not only the crime, but also the corruption and um, a lot of these things from that don't port very well to other cultures. I think they do port to us very easily. It also allows you to do a lot of political commentary, which doesn't sound very usual, but happens a lot in the crime writing of of Latin American writers. So yeah, I, I love noirs and I really like the very old fashioned ones like this from the 1950s, kind of, kind of like the original ones where everything is, is beginning just because you can see very clearly where tropes and ideas come from. And, Later on, sometimes it's very hard to distinguish that because things have mutated, but you can really see it quite clearly, more or less what's the origin of of this species in in these kinds of books. I don't recommend a lot of things to anybody, I'm afraid. I I kind of review books sometimes uh, for NPR, and and I am going to be doing a book column recommendation for somebody else soon, but I don't have a lot of conversations with people about books, although that may sound odd for a writer, but no, it's not something that I talk about very often. Um, I have mentioned it to the people that I know who like noir and crime writing, and I think none of them have recognized uh, who this writer is. They've gone like, oh, okay, who is that? And then they were like, oh yeah, I heard about him. So it's that kind of stuff. But I, I generally, yeah, I kind of tend to stay away from a lot of conversations. I'm a very solitary person. <laughs> I, I think if you've never read uh, 1950s noir, any of Charles Williams' books are a good introduction to that time period and that kind of writing. But The Hell Hath No Fury, The Hotspot, is, would be really my my first choice for you. Um, and then if not, there's Dead Calm. Um, I think that's what the title is, which is kind of like this thriller about aboard a boat. And uh, and he and Charles Williams wrote several kind of boat books too. If you've ever kind of been interested in exploring that kind of thing and you're, you're wondering where tropes come from, Charles Williams is an excellent choice and you will look very um, intelligent or erudite if you mention it to any other noir writer. And you can feel superior to them by being like, oh, I read him. Yes, of course. And, and I do hope that at some point there's a revival and uh, his books get released in really nice editions. That would be very exciting for me. Uh, so that's also why I'm talking about him to kind of maybe force the needle and get some, you know, nice, elegant editions of his books out that I can keep. That was Silvia Moreno-Garcia recommending The Hot Spot by Charles Williams. Her novel, Gods of Jade and Shadow, published by Del Rey, is available wherever books are sold. You can follow her on Twitter at Sylvia M.G. That's S-I-L-V-I-A-M-G. Many thanks to Garth Nix and Sylvia Moreno-Garcia for joining us and sharing some favorites. Thanks also go out to our sponsors for making today's episode possible. If you're enjoying the show, please do drop by on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating or a review. We're always happy to see feedback and reviews help other bookish listeners to find our show. You can find show notes, including titles mentioned, at bookriot.com slash recommended. And you can email us feedback, personal favorites, and suggestions at recommended at bookriot.com. 